And how that presents is they call it unmanageability. But how it presents is this. On a good day, I'm restless. I'm irritable. I'm discontent. On a, on a normal day, I'm, I suffer from depression, anxiety, uh, guilt, shame, remorse, you know, self-centered fear. On a bad day, it's the hideous four horsemen, terror, frustration, bewilderment, despair, pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. This is all language in the book Alcoholics Anonymous that I believe is, is pointing toward the emotional and spiritual unmanageability of alcoholism. Well, hello, friends of Bill W. and other friends. You have landed on Sober Speak. My name is John M. I am an alcoholic, and we are glad you are all here, especially newcomers. Newcomers, that is, both to recovery as a whole and newcomers to this podcast. Sober Speak is a podcast about recovery centered around the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. My job here on Sober Speak is simple. My job is to provide a platform to the amazing stories of recovery all around us. Consider Sober Speak, if you will, your meeting between meetings. Please remember, we do not speak for AA or any 12 step community. We represent only ourselves. We are here to share our experience, strength, and hope with those who wish to come along for the ride. Take what you want and leave the rest at the curb for the trash man to pick up. Wop, bop, a loo bop, a lop, bomb, bomb. Tootie fruity, oh, Rudy. <laughs> that was the voice of my friend, Mr. Chris S., on this here episode number, what episode number are we on? Excuse me. Let me look. It is episode number 294. Greetings from Studio AA deep in the heart of Texas. And you are going to hear so much more from Mr. Chris S. And un momento, but first things first, this here episode is being brought to you by Kathy and Anonymous, and Kelly, and Joe, and Audrey, and Mary Lynn, and Laura. What, you may ask, did Kathy, and Anonymous, and Kelly, and Joe, and Ed, and Audrey, and Mary Lynn, and Laura do? Well, they went to our website, www.soberspeak.com. They clicked on the little yellow donate tab, and they made a contribution. So thank you so much. Kathy and Anonymous and Kel, you know, the, the when I say Anonymous, it's that's not really their name. It, it's the person who donated anonymously. Anyway, thank you, Kathy and Anonymous and Kelly and Joe and Ed and Audrey and Mary Lynn and Laura. This here episode is coming right out to Ewan's. Yeah, and I want to say this. I've had a few people email me lately. And ask me if there's any other way to donate besides PayPal. They want to donate via, oh, all those various, uh, what do you, uh, I don't even know what you call it, Cash App or Venmo or, you know, all the electronic apps. And we, we don't have that set up. And there's uh, several reasons behind that. I don't want to bore you with it, but mainly it's for simplicity on my end. And, uh, uh, but for all of you, uh, it's the thought that counts. Uh, I really appreciate you writing in about that, and uh, um, it, it's it's cool. I'm just glad that you are listening to this here episode. Just keep on listening in. Thank you very much. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, by the way, those were the lyrics to Tutti Fruity right there on the front end. I don't know why, you know, like I said, just some things come to my mind every once in a while, right at the, right as I start to record on the pod and, uh, I just, uh, say them for whatever reason. So let's get, no, but well, actually before we get on into Chris S and step one of Alcoholics Anonymous, I want to say this, I got a little, mm, the clamped this week little emotional, um, started thinking about you guys 
and that God has let me be in this seat for uh, an extended period of time now. Um, and I started thinking about you guys, the listeners and the fo- folks in the Facebook group and the followers on Instagram and, uh, and what a great, wonderful group of people you are. Uh, you're well-behaved <laughs> in the Facebook group. I mean, there's 3,000 people in there. I very rarely have any sort of issues. Every once in a while, we have a little sort of something, something, but everyone's well-behaved, um, and and I get all kinds of wonderful feedback, uh, both on social media uh, and via email, and I'm just, I'm so grateful for you guys. I, I know, and I've said this before, there are so so many media choices you have, whether it be television, radio, podcasting, or whatever, where you could be spending your time. And the fact that you come in here and spend an hour-ish, whatever it is, um, on an episode uh, on a weekly basis with me and my guest just means the world to me. Uh, Love to all of you, and I I, I, I wish I could give every. You can't see me right now, but I got a big. I'm doing a big hug motion. I wish I. I'm a hugger, right? I wish I could give every one of you a big hug, and I realize that very few of you I will ever actually meet in person. But God bless you and thank you. Uh, I pray for you. Um, I hope that this little podcast can bring some sort of stress relief into your day, that it can bring some sort of joy, happiness, maybe realization, maybe spiritual growth, whatever it is. But I'm so happy that you have joined me here today. All right, so I was in a meeting earlier this week, and a friend of mine said something, and it's just it really been kind of rolling through my head, and I'm going to share it with you all. He said something similar to this. I didn't have a recorder in the meeting, obviously, but it was something similar. He said, basically, when considering God's will for myself, if God's will depends upon somebody else either doing something or not doing something, it is most likely not God's will for me. Let me say that again. When considering God's will, if God's will depends upon somebody else besides me, either doing something or not doing something, it is most likely not God's will for me. I've really been taking that to heart uh, I've been thinking about that in various situations that I have come across this past week and thinking, wait a sec, I'm looking to somebody else or something else to either do something or not do something in order to make me fulfilled and, and anyway, and I need to stop doing that. Uh, and I, and you know, that's probably kind of basic 101 stuff, but I don't know why, but just when my friend Jeremy said that in a meeting this last week here, it really stuck with me. So thank you, Jeremy, for sharing that. And thank you for, uh, I asked him if I could share that. Of course, he probably didn't know I was going to share it with <laughs> uh, 10,000 people here, but hey. <laughs> Maybe next time I'll clarify. I'm I'm sure he won't care. Anyway, uh, now on to Mr. Chris S. In step one of Alcoholics Anonymous. Chris, he's appeared once on the program in the past, and he appeared on actually episode number 289, not too long ago. And And the title of the episode was Recovery is Progressive. Chris has been sober since December of 1989. He lives in Blairstown, New Jersey. We discussed step one at length. We discussed Dr. Silkworth, um, the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind, unmanageability, what that means, spiritual experience, sponsorship, and my favorite, I always love these nicknames, uh, he refers to... (laughs) Somebody he knows called Fish Food Phil. 
and you'll have to hear all that story. Isn't that a great name? For fish food, Phil. Anyway, uh, enjoy Mr. Chris S. discussing step one of Alcoholics Anonymous, and we will have plenty of listener feedback at the end of this here episode. Enjoy, Chris. Okay, everybody. So today we are sitting here with Mr. Chris S. So, Chris, I am going to go ahead and let you intro yourself, uh, give your sobriety date if you would like, and then tell people where you live in this great big world of ours. Absolutely. Uh, my name's Chris. I'm an alcoholic. My sobriety date is on or around December 28th, 1989. Uh, within a day or two of that, <laughs> I can, yeah. you know, it was like a, it was like a multi day blackout, <laughs> you know, debacle. So, but I, but I claim 28, uh, December 28th, 1989. Uh, and I live in a town called Blairstown, New Jersey, which is, uh, pretty near the Delaware Water Gap. And a little bit about, it's always kind of a, you know, before I bring a guest on, you know, what do you want the subject matter to be? And sometimes we have people just do their story. Sometimes we have them do a step. Sometimes we have them do a tradition. Everybody kind of has their little bit of uh, expertise, if you will, and things that they're most passionate about as well. So with you, Chris, we decided we were going to kind of take a walk through the steps. I believe that is kind you do workshops around the steps. Am I right about that? Uh, yeah, yes, I've, I've been doing workshops since the mid nineties. Uh, I've done a bunch with, uh, your friend Charlie and a bunch with your friend Marty. So, so, so yeah. And one of the things that I, I get asked to do, um, real frequently is to present on, on, re on recovery related topics. And most of the time, uh, that's the, that's a specific step or the steps. And so uh, I'd love to do that with you here today, if uh, that's okay. Oh, of course, of course. And you, but you've also done, if I'm not mistaken, I think I saw some recordings of you. You recently took kind of a slow walk through the through the book, uh, not living what not living sober. What's that book you you talk about? Uh, uh, Language of the Heart is um, a series of um, shows that. What we're doing on Take 12 uh, radio. If you go, if you Google Take 12 radio, you know, pop right up and you can find the link to workshops. And what we're doing is we're, do we're doing like 45 minutes on each article in, in that book. And I'm learning a lot. I mean, it's fascinating watching, watching Bill build, uh, you know, what the experience of Alcoholics Anonymous in that book. It's, it's been a lot of fun. So that's what we're working on now. So language of the heart, I know I read it when I first got sober and I, I we're going to get into the steps here in just a second, but kind of give me a, a thumbnail sketch of what language of the heart is about. So as, um, as Alcoholics Anonymous is growing and developing, the Grapevine magazine starts like in the early forties and Bill is a frequent contributor to the Grapevine magazine. It's Alcoholics Anonymous's meeting in print, right? And so he has articles on specific topics. He's got articles on the traditions, articles on the writing of the big book, articles on using medications and, and alcoholism, all these really interesting topics. So, um, so we're, we're basically going over one of those a week. Uh, I think last week it was those goofballs was the name of the article. So, so at that period of time, a lot of people were taking really serious, really serious, uh, depressant type, you know, second all and nebutol and all this stuff. And they're going to meetings and they're all relapsing, right? So, so he, he's writing an article basically saying, you know, oral hydrate is not, not good for your sobriety. It, it's, it's a cool <laughs> article. That, that's just an example, but we're, we're having a lot of fun with it. That's great. It's, it is interesting how the same sort of, the the same issues kind of repeat themselves over and over and over. And, you know, the things that Bill wrote about back in the forties and fifties are, you know, still challenges today, whether you have bleeding deacons or uh, elder statesmen and all of that. So that's cool. No one had a better perspective of the alcoholic and the alcoholic personality, uh, alcoholism, the illness, and the solution and recovery from alcoholism that, that, then Bill, he, and he was prophetic. He saw problems before we were going to have them. 
and put together traditions and concepts and warned people about it uh, forever before you and I ever had problems with them. You know, there's material out there uh, that's guiding uh, that would be helpful for us if we would pay attention. Obviously, step one, uh, we admitted we were powerless over alcohol, that our lives had came uh, and that our lives have become unmanageable. Excuse me. What comes to mind when you first hear that step? All right. So so uh, there was a, there was an evolution that happened for me coming to terms with this step. So, so it had gotten to the point in my drinking where I recognized that I – I, I either separate from alcohol or I die. It had, it had gotten to, to that point. And that happens with many of us, right? So, so I, you know, I don't know anything really about alcoholism. When, when someone said there's an alcoholic, you know, what came to my mind was somebody that, you know, was a bum, was homeless. You know, that, that's really what came to mind. And so, so I didn't, I didn't have a, a, a real accurate grasp of, uh, of alcoholism, but I, but I knew I needed to separate from alcohol and people were recommending that, uh, you know, I pay attention to this thing called <laughs> Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, the, you know how they are. So, so my evolution of step one was basically, I have got to stop drinking and I go to Alcoholics Anonymous because I can't seem to do that on my own. I go to Alcoholics Anonymous. And if I go to Alcoholics Anonymous, I will be able to stop drinking. And, and, and from there, really what happened was the fellowship drew me in. Uh, I, I joined up with you guys. I made friends. I, you know, I dated people. You know, we, we hung out together and it became my society, right? But, uh, but when I get, when I was exposed to some people who had a real working knowledge of the book Alcoholics Anonymous, it was further defined for me. And then I really started to have an experience with step one. Now, now there's so much material in, in the book, the text, our basic text, Alcoholics Anonymous that goes over step one. And I, and I, I think there's good reason for that. It's, it's a really heavy lift coming to terms with what Bill is saying about alcoholism in that book. Now, before I even get started, I, you know, I really want to explain something about the book Alcoholics Anonymous. It, it was written by really hardcore, what they described as hopeless, real alcoholics. These are people who'd gone down to the scale and they'd been institutionalized. I mean, I mean, um, t- today the average person showing up in a room of Alcoholics Anonymous isn't even near anywhere near as bad as like the first people who came. So, so when Bill is speaking to someone in the book Alcoholics Anonymous, he's always speaking to the real alcoholic, the the, the end stage, stage five, you know, not going to last very much longer alcoholic. So. That kind of needs to be understood when you're, when you're looking at the book, Alcoholics Anonymous, but the information in that book is, it, it's very hard hitting. The first, first of all, there's Bill's story, which talks about step one, his experience with step one. You know, the, then there's more about alcoholism and there is a solution. Both of those chapters are specifically designed to give you enough information so that you can say, Yes, you know, I have this thing. I, you know, I'm one of you. Uh, it's, it's, it, and, and there's no real specific, uh, specific definition of alcoholism. What, what there is instead is there's descriptions of alcoholism. There's, there's Fred, there's Jim, there's the, the, the jaywalker, there's the man of 30. There's certainly all the stuff in Bill's story. There's all these, all these examples of, uh, of alcoholics and almost always there are people who've come to terms with the fact that drinking for them is is a really bad idea and they're trying to stop and they can't (laughs) now now my first my first understanding of powerlessness in step one was yeah i'm powerless when i drink 
you know, I crash cars. You know, I, I, I come to in Topeka, uh, not knowing how I got there with one shoe. Yeah, and that, and that's the way I looked at this step one, right? But step one is so much deeper than that when you mine the book Alcoholics Anonymous for the information that's in there. Now, um, now going back to how Bill found this stuff out. He was going to this place called Towns Hospital, and it was um, a turn of the century. It was a hospital for drug addiction and alcoholism, which was rare back then. The, the type of treatment centers that you and I know about today, they started at, at least in the 50s, if not much later. So it was really unusual to have a hospital that specialized in alcoholism and, and drug addiction because he lived in New York City. He had the opportunity to go there. And there was an individual there named Dr. Silkworth who had treated about 20,000 alcoholics. This guy's, you know, the chief clinician at this hospital. And he's, he, he really started to pay attention and he classified people. Uh, he classified the alcoholic. He knew that maybe he could help someone like this, but oh no, this person is hopeless. Right. So. So Bill got a lot of information, um, a lot of information from, uh, from Dr. Silkworth and Dr. Silkworth kind of defined what alcoholism was. And it's basically broken down like this. An obsession of the mind coupled with an allergy of the body. And, and I'll, I'll explain that, uh, as, 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 as best I can. Okay. So the allergy of the body is. Uh, when alcohol is put into an alcoholic's body, it throws them into a craving. And Dr. Silkworth called this an allergy because it's, it's an unusual reaction to a food or beverage. It's an unusual reaction to alcohol. Not everybody has this phenomenon of craving. Aunt Fanny doesn't close the bar when she has a glass of wine at Thanksgiving. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, but, but you, you know, you start me drinking at Thanksgiving and, 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 you know, all, all bets are off. So, so, so when alcohol is in my body, I have a craving for more alcohol. And what that looks like on me is like this. The first drink asks for the second drink. The second drink insists on the third drink. The third drink demands the fourth drink. And I want the 35th drink more than I wanted the 34th drink. So, so the more alcohol in my body, the more, the more my whole experience is craving more alcohol, you know, body, mind and spirit wants more alcohol. So that, so that's, that's one characteristic of alcoholism. And that wouldn't be so bad if it wasn't for the second characteristic. The second characteristic is this. Once alcoholism has developed to a certain point and goes across a specific line. They call it crossing the line into full-blown alcoholism. The alcoholic can't stop drinking. Doesn't matter how much they want to stop. Doesn't matter what the consequences are going to be. You're going to go, you're going to go back to jail. You know, if, okay, I hope I get a good sell. You know, I mean, you're just, you're not going to be able to stop drinking. And what that looked like on me was this would come to in the morning, you know, wearing the clothes I had passed out in the night before, just shattered alcohol poisons, right? And I, and I got to get up and I got to go to work. So, you know, the whole time I'm, you know, I'm throwing water on my face and I'm staggering out to my car, you know, you got to go to work. And the whole time I'm swearing to God that this is the day. Today is the day. I'm going to, I'm going to quit drinking. I'm going to quit drinking, right? And, and what would happen was before quitting time, I had reversed that decision. I thought I had reversed that decision and I drove straight to the liquor store to start the whole cycle over again. Now, here's what they say about something like that in the book Alcoholics Anonymous. It's a sane and sound decision for an alcoholic knowing what they know about what, what, what alcohol does to them and the risks involved. It's a very sane decision to say, I'm done. Now, you know, it makes all kinds of sense, right? To change your mind later in the day is insane. So what they describe that as in the book, Alcoholics Anonymous, is they describe it as a mental obsession. 
And they say there are strange mental blank spots before we put alcohol back in our body. Subtle forms of insanity. We're without defense against the first drink. And, and the picture they start to paint in the book Alcoholics Anonymous is we do not have the power on our own at certain times to stay away from alcohol. Alcohol is going to go back in our body. If we're, if we're alcoholic, we do not, we do not contain what it would take to be able to stop drinking within us. And that's really a heavy lift. I mean, I, I, I mean, who, it says in the step of who among us wishes to admit complete defeat? Glass in hand, we've warped our minds to such a state that only an act of, you know, uh, uh, only an act of divine providence can restore us to some kind of sanity, you, you know? So, so it's an incredible heavy lift. I, I've worked with a million people over the years and to get them to that point is really, really hard because they keep saying, yeah, I know what you're saying, you know, but, uh, yeah, thank you for the information, you know, but yeah, I got this. I, you know, for what, what the information that you've just shared with me is really helpful. Thank you for that. But, you know, I'm not going to need all this stuff, you know, <laughs> I probably, but, but the fact of the matter is, is it's, it's, it's that stuff insanity that, that, that is part of alcoholism. You know what I mean? Like I know that I've told you I'm going to quit drinking 733 times before. And drank, right? I know that, but, but there's something different about this time. This time I'm telling you I'm not drinking. And this time uh, I know in my heart this time I mean it. And later, later in the day I'm drunk. You know, you know, what is that? That's, that's a plain, plain insanity. And when you're caught up in with that, with that, you've got two problems. One of them is when you're drinking and one of them is when you're not drinking. <laughs> you know, if it wasn't for that, you know, yeah. <laughs> You might have some kind of a handle on this. And, and, and to, to be the type of person to completely admit that I, I'm not even going to be there is back in my body. I, I'm going to be suffering from an insanity episode called the obsession to, to admit that is really a heavy, a heavy lift, but that's what the book Alcoholics Anonymous is telling us we suffer from. And without some type of help, we are doomed. We're going to die, you know, and, and it's, it's not really great news, but, but even, even, even along with that, that's bad enough news, right? But there's a dash that our lives have become unmanageable, right? What is, what does that mean? When I, when I first showed up, I, sure, you know, when I'm drinking, things can get unmanageable, you know, <laughs> you know, I crash cars, I get slapped by women, all kinds of stuff. Oh, you know, it's just unmanageable. My boss yells at me. It's all unmanageable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's not really what they're talking about. That's drunk stuff. And, and, you know, you know, a lot of people that drink a lot who are non-alcoholic do drunk stuff. Right. They're talking about something spiritual, something emotional, right? Because what happens when I separate from alcohol is alcoholism becomes an emotional illness. And how that presents is they call it unmanageability. But how it presents is this. On a good day, I'm restless. I'm irritable. I'm discontent, right? On a, on a normal day, I'm, I suffer from depression, anxiety, uh, guilt, shame, remorse, you know, <laughs> self-centered fear. On a bad day, it's the hideous four horsemen, terror, frustration, bewilderment, despair, pitiful and incomprehensible demoralization. It, these, this is all language in the book Alcoholics Anonymous that I believe is, uh, is pointing toward the emotional and spiritual unmanageability of alcoholism. So. I've got a mind that will drag me back to alcohol every single time. I've got a body that can't tolerate it, that, that forces me to drink myself into unconsciousness. And, and my life sucks. <laughs> you know, there's no quality in my life, right? Because, because I'm trapped in the emotional bondage of Chris. And, and that's step, that's step one. It's, it's Custer's last stand. 
and there's more Indians coming. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I do. Yeah. So that, that unmanageability, I think that is one that a lot of people struggle with. Uh, and, and just kind of thinking of like, you know, especially with people like it talks about, I think in the 12 and 12 people came in with two cars in the garage and, you know, not as high, not as low of a bottom as a lot of people had in the past. So how do you, and, and you mentioned it earlier, you know, working with guys and it's hard to get them from point A to point B. And then, so my question was going to be, how do you get them from point A to point B? But I guess it's just what we do here where we keep sharing experience, strength and hope. Have any comments on that? You know, I, I, I do. I, I believe very, very much when, when someone asks me personally for help to qualify them. All right. Now, now, and, and this isn't, this isn't meant in any negative or derogatory way, but, but what, what you do is you share your experience with trying to quit, share your experience with trying to manage and control. And let them share their experience. And if they are alcoholic, they're going to, they're going to recognize that you, you might be the first person to be explaining something that they've been experiencing. And, and that's going to, that's going to, that's going to come out, you know, so, so it's, it's the 12 step call of your, right? Is basically what it is. You know, you, you tell someone about your alcoholism. And, and, and you make it, you make a comfortable space for them to tell you about theirs. And if you're able to do that well, you're able to uh, let them know that you were never able to stop drinking before you experienced the things that Alcoholics Anonymous offered. You tried therapy, you tried medication, you, you, you tried primal scream therapy. You, you did everything you, you possibly could and you kept drinking. However, you found something in Alcoholics Anonymous that, that worked, that worked. And you have not had a drink since, you know, back when. And, and, you know, that's what I would share. When you go out and you do your workshops, uh, I'm, and you explain all about step one and guys or women, uh, come up to you afterwards and they're talking to you. What are some of the, the most common questions that you receive or the most common, uh, comments that you receive from them? You know, you know, some, sometimes people who have not gone down the scale that far who, who, who would be considered Using the book Alcoholics Anonymous as a defining tool, and there's many other defining tools out there. I, I use the book Alcoholics Anonymous as the text for my understanding of alcoholism. But every once in a while, someone, someone will come up to me who, who, who doesn't understand what I'm talking about with the craving, doesn't understand what I'm talking about with the obsession of the mind. And, and usually those are, those are people who, who have gotten to Alcoholics Anonymous before a full-blown case of alcoholism. Yeah. And, and they'll have, they'll have, they'll have some questions. I, I want to tell you really quickly about a, a, a story. I, I've done a lot of work with the, with the VA, VA hospital is a VA hospital in my area. I started working with this one guy and I started to explain step one kind of the way, uh, you know, I was, I was, I was doing here and all of a sudden he broke down crying. Now they, they found this guy in a foxhole. He'd gotten so bad that he'd gone out in the woods and he dug a foxhole and they found him there and he, they dragged him off to the VA and, and I ended up with him. You know, he was in really bad shape, but, but, I, but I started to explain step one. He started crying and I'm like, what, what are you crying for? And he goes, no one's ever explained this to me before. I, I just thought I was a scumbag. I, you know, I thought, I thought that, you, 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 you know what I mean? Like, this is an illness. No one ever explained this to me before. You know, so, so there are going to be people who respond to this message of obsession and, 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 uh, 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 allergy. And, and there, there are people who, who aren't, you know, you know, I tend to, unfortunately, well, fortunately, unfortunately, I tend to get the people who've kind of, uh, Kind of understand what I'm talking about. <laughs> you know, I get I get alcoholics. When you think about Bill's story, and you know everything that is in Bill's story, and uh, is there anything from 
a bill story that that stands out to you? Things like, you know, liquor ceased to be a luxury. It became a necessity. Is there anything from his story that uh, really kind of resonated with you? You know, almost all that. Listen, I, you know, I wasn't in World War One. I, I wasn't a stockbroker. You know, I didn't live in New York City. But but when he talks about his alcohol experience, he talks about I had arrived the first time he experienced intoxication. Right? That happened to me. All of a sudden, I felt like who who has been hiding this stuff? You know, all of a sudden, I'm larger than life. All of a sudden, all the fear is gone. Sudden, I have courage galore. All of a sudden, I'm the funniest person in the room. All of a sudden, I can ask the girls to dance. Who has been hiding this stuff from me? You know, so so I I, I you know from from that point all the way through to to the delirium tremens. He he, sa- he said, I, you know, I went to the hospital because I I showed si- signs of delirium tremens. I've experienced delirium tremens. So I I I relate to everything that he's talking about with the alcohol experience in Bill's story. Bill's story is a beautiful example of a twelve step call. Right. Like, like, let, let's, let's say there's someone, uh, that you need to talk to. You're, you're being asked to talk to somebody or they're asking for help. You know, if you lay it out like Bill did in his story, you're going to be doing a great job. The first eight pages are, you know, what it was like, you know, then, then what happened? What happened was Ebby showed up, right? And Ebby took him basically through the steps on his hospital bed in town's hospital. And you know what it's like. What it's like today is is like the the last five pages. Just how amazing his life has become. That's a beautiful twelve step call, and uh, I think that's why that's the first thing in our book. Did you? What has your spiritual experience been like? And what I mean is, I'm thinking about Bill's story, and you know him seeing the white light and all that sort of stuff, and. Everybody has their own, I guess, version, if you will, of a, of a spiritual summer, you know, more experiential. What, what was yours like? So it was, it happened slowly over the course of time. Um, I showed up in the rooms in, in 1989. And in 1989, uh, I'll, just, I'll just say this in our area, there was not a focus on the taking of the 12 steps. It was, it was, he, Covered by going to a lot of, or you sobered up by going to a lot of meetings and sharing and making coffee and hanging out and spending a lot of time together. And sure, you would go to step meetings. A step meeting would be a meeting based on the 12 steps and 12 traditions. But back then it was unheard of for like someone to bring you over to their house and start taking you through the 12 steps. If, if somebody started doing that in 1990, they would have called the cops on them. <laughs> you, you, you know what I mean? So. So it ha- so my spiritual experience happened slowly because what happened was I got sober in Alcoholics Anonymous. Uh, I was still suffering from 12 different aspects of alcoholism by the time I was exposed to the steps. You know, the, the symptoms of alcoholism were all over me. I get exposed to the steps. I slowly go about the business of taking the steps, just like, you know, late 1990. And, uh, and I, uh, you know, I slowly started to recover. And, and by the time, you know, I had gotten through the steps, there's, there's no way, um, that someone wouldn't say, wouldn't agree with the fact that I had recovered from alcoholism because the symptoms of alcoholism seemed to be gone. It was symptom number one, drinking, right? Symptom number two, toxic experience of self-consciousness, resentment, self-centered fear you know that 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 was all the symptoms of alcoholism had been abated or muted let's just say that they were muted you know i still had the capacity to be crazy but uh but i wasn't you know i wasn't dangerous anymore you know so 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 they talk about you know jumping ahead to the last chapter you know let's let's just go to the last chapter having had spiritual awakening as the result is 12 steps. We tried to carry this message to other alcoholics and practice these principles in all of our affairs. What does my spiritual experience feel like today? Well, for one thing, I'm awake. <laughs> you know, the spiritual awakening, it's about being awake. And, and, and what I mean by that is, is I see things as they really are. You know, you know, 
prior to that spiritual awakening, I had a perspective, I had belief systems, I had reactions to life uh, that were that were it was like I was looking at life through lenses that were clouded with alcoholism. You know, uh, I, I was overly sensitive. I, you know, I was hypercritical. I was sarcastic. I would gossip. I could give you 700,000 things that I was doing, which, which, you know, really are incorrect. The misperception to try to live like that. And so, so today my, my spiritual experience is I, f- I feel whole, I feel whole. I, and I believe, I believe so much that the alcoholic is someone who has a spiritual vacancy and, and we're looking for some kind of comfort to fill that vacancy. We'll do it with alcohol. We'll do it with cocaine. We'll do it with opiates. We'll do it with gambling. We'll do it with sex. We'll do it with food, but, but we got to find something to put in here so that we feel good. And, and, and the spiritual, the spiritual experience is the thing that fits that hole perfectly. That's what's supposed to go in there. <laughs> you, you, you know what I mean? And, and so, so recovery is really just, you know, just get it, getting, getting healthy, uh, emotionally and spiritually and physically. I'm wondering who are the people in the program that have had the biggest influence on you throughout these 33 years, uh, getting sober, uh, and, and you know, do you have come from a, or do you come from a tree, you know, and is it, is, is there somebody in particular that you kind of, I don't want to say worship or idolize, but just, you know, that you really listen to. There have been uh, a number of people that I've been incredibly inspired by. Now, my first exposure to big book recovery was somebody gave me a set of Joe and Charlie tapes, like, Hey, you know, I'm six months sober. Hey, I didn't like these guys, but you, something tells me you should listen to them. You know, that like, 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 whoa, I've been doing this wrong. <laughs> you know, right. everybody in my meeting has been doing this wrong. You know, so, so I got, I got influenced by, by Joe and Charlie and I started buying, uh, recovery workshops. One of the first ones I bought was, uh, Joe Hawk's Salvation Army talks. And, and that was like, you know, Joe and Charlie are like seventh grade recovery. Joe Hawk takes it to, 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 takes it up to like graduate level, you know, recovery stuff. And that blew my mind. And then when Joe started to run around with Mark Houston and do workshops, I got all of those. So those, those were my basic, those were the basic people who inspired me. Now, now, uh, Mark and Joe came from Don Pretz, right? Joe, Joe, Joe and Joe and Charlie were out of Little Rock, Arkansas, but but what they just did is they woke me up to the fact that you don't think your way recovered, you don't share your way recovered, you don't go to meetings till you're recovered. Actually, have to engage in a twelve-step recovery process requires the actual taking of spiritual exercises. And so, you know, the, those guys, and then there was, there was Sandy B and Bob B and, and you know, I could go on and on. Uh, th- there was just so many amazing people that I started to listen to and gain insight to. And, and one, one of the things that is one of the most prized things in my life is I got to be friends with all these guys, <laughs> you know, later on, later on, our paths crossed. And, uh, and we related to each other, all these people. And, uh, and I'm, I'm eternally grateful that, you know, some of my heroes became my friends. When you think about sponsorship, uh, you talked about it a little while ago, working with people, both for, well, I guess from both ends. Uh, first of all, sponsorship in terms of how you have been sponsored and what's worked and what's not. And then the other. So my experience with sponsorship was my first sponsor, um, God bless him, Fish, Fish Food Phil. Uh, he was my, he was my first sponsor. And, uh, 
And he told me one thing, uh, you know, I went, I went up to, I went up to, I nicknamed everybody, <laughs> you know, they still call him fish food for like 30 years. Anyway, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I went up to him and I just, I just got out of a terrible relapse and I went up to him. I go, Phil, Phil, please, you gotta help me. I, I've been in hell, Phil. I want to get out. Will you help me? Please help me. <laughs> and he like laughs. He's like, sure. You know, I could use a new pigeon I to do one thing. He said, I want, I want to see you at a meeting every single night. Now, now looking back on it, that was the perfect thing to say to me because before I could engage in this recovery process, I had to believe in it. I had to see evidence of it. So, so I show up and I start going to meetings and I started to get back out into society. I'd been isolating like crazy, right? And then, and then Phil moved away on me, you know, and I got, I got another guy, Gary, Gary, Gary C, who had what I wanted. Every single cylinder in his life was firing, you know, at top dead center. You know what I mean? And, uh, and for about 20, 20 some years, 25 years, he was, he was my, he was my sponsor. You know, my current spot, my current sponsor is, uh, is a guy out of, uh, out of California. He was living here, uh, uh, Brad L who is, you know, just crazy spiritual, you know, like deeply, deeply spiritual. Now that's been my experience with sponsors. None of them took me through the steps, right? None of them qualified me. I, all that stuff had to happen outside of sponsorship. Me as a sponsor today, first thing I'll do is qualify you. Second thing I'll do is get you started on the steps. You know, Bill Wilson wrote, uh, uh, wrote in, I can't even remember where, but he says, um, a sponsor, a sponsor's primary responsibility is an adequate presentation of the steps. Bill always left ginormous latitude for all of us, you know, for, for us to use our unique capacities, you know, so, so he's just basically saying, you know, present the steps adequately. So, so I, so I do that with the people that, that, uh, that, that I work with. And I, you know, I've sponsored three or 400 people over the years. And, uh, uh, I, I'll tell you what, the people that get through, get through the 12 steps are people that are still in my life. I know where they are, know what they're doing, uh, because there's a bond that's created. You know, if, if, if you were to take me through the 12 steps, we are locked in together for the rest of our lives. There's a spiritual connection. Uh, some people call that the, the, the fellowship of the spirit, you know? So, so that's, that's my experience sponsoring. I, I don't sponsor like the way my sponsor sponsored me. Uh, I'm not saying they did anything wrong. It was perfect for me, but, uh, I, I really, I, you know, I try, I try to get somebody to the steps a little bit faster than, uh, than I got to them. You know, there was some, some risky time in between me getting through the steps and, uh, separating from alcohol. So I have to know why is fish food Phil called fish food Phil? <laughs> well, he he starts seafood divisions for large companies. So so if you're if you know if if you have a really large <laughs> grocery store chain, he'll come in and he's the consultant that comes in and sets up where you know where are you going to buy, you know who's going to be your cutter. This is the kind of uh, equipment you have to have. And, and, uh, so, so he's, he's high, high level, you know, fish food industry. And, uh, you know, we just call him fish food. Phil, everybody, everybody had a nickname in the early days. There was bummed out Bob, you know, there was, I, I, I'm going to share this and I feel terrible even sharing it, but I'm, I'm going to go ahead. There was one, one person everybody called suicide Bob. Because he, he would raise his hand and share in a meeting. I really feel like killing myself. I really feel like killing myself. He killed himself. <laughs> uh, it's oh, ter- no. I shouldn't be laughing. It's terrible, right? Oh, but, no. uh, oh, but, uh, uh, but, but, you, you know, uh, there was, there was evangelical Andy. Uh, he, he, everybody had, everybody had nicknames. It was, uh, <laughs> it was nuts. <laughs> That's great. Well, excuse me. I think this has been a great first get together. Um, basically, I think I'm going to call this one step one because that's majority of what we covered there. And uh, and I and once I hit the uh, 
pause button here. We'll talk about uh, possibly getting on another time if you uh, if you have it in your schedule. And uh, but this has Absolutely. been fantastic. I yes, really appreciate fun. this. Having fun. Uh, um, all right. So I always read from uh, the page one sixty four of the big book to close this out. The last couple of paragraphs there says yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to Him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit. And you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. Once again, Mr. Chris S., thank you so much for coming on with me today. God bless you, my friend. One more time, Mr. Chris S., Thank you so much for sharing your experience, strength, and hope. We will be having Chris S. back on in the future. But in the meantime, remember now, we don't want you sharing your gossip, nor do we want you sharing your toothbrush, but... Do share this episode with a friend or family member. It may be just what they need today. So pause that little device, hit the share button and send it on over to those who may benefit from that episode. Alrighty now, I I lost my train of thought. Anyway, now on to a little bit of listener feedback. Andrew posts in the super secret Facebook group, by the way, if you have any comments about Chris or any of the other folks that you've heard on this podcast, or you just want to drop me a line, my email address is john, J-O-H-N, at soberspeak.com. Um, but Andrew posted, oh, and if you want in the super secret Facebook group, go to our Facebook, go to your Facebook application, Search for Sober Speak Secret Group and ask for admission into that group and we will get you on in the group. The bar is very, very low. Andrew posted this in the Super Secret Facebook group and so we get the, the we get so many of these, right? And when I say so many of these, there's there's a lot of celebration that takes place in the uh, Facebook group, and I, but for whatever reason, uh, Andrew and I have gone back and forth on Instagram and uh, and in Facebook, and his just kind of stuck out to me the other day, and I wanted to go ahead and read this on the pod. Andrew posted in there. He says five years sober today exclamation point he says this podcast has played a huge part in my recovery since 2020 it really has been my meeting between meetings thank you so much well andrew we're glad we're happy that you allow us on the sober the the sober speak universe community if you will to be a part of your journey and uh, congratulations my friend on 5 years that's absolutely fantastic joe writes in and joe says hi john my name is joe i'll just put the last initial g I live in Thomasville, North Carolina, not far from Winston-Salem and Greensboro. Now, that's not the same Winston-Salem where they have the witches and stuff, right? I think that's up in Massachusetts. But anyway, he says, my sobriety date is January 14th of 2004. I've been listening to Sober Speak for about a year and a half now. I am a high school English teacher and I drive about 45 minutes each way to and from work. During that time, I have listened to over 100 episodes of Sober Speak. Oh, that's really cool. So Sober Speak kind of gets you in the mood to teach the kids, uh, you know, give them some good lessons and stuff like that. I have no idea what I'm talking about now, but thank you, Joe. He says, at first, I didn't know what to make of Sober Speak because I had been listening to different podcasts that featured basically, quote, speaker tapes, just alcoholics telling their stories from a podium, no interviews. Once I got used to the format of Sober Speak, though, I came to like it and I prefer it. A big part of that had to do with your style of interviewing. Well, that's very nice. Including your respect 
uh, for and sense of humor with your guest. In time, I also came to realize that there were several recurring guests whose name came up repeatedly in listener feedback. David G, Gary K, Bill C. I made it a point to go back and listen to all of the episodes you recorded with those guests, one person at a time. So for instance, I listened to all of the David G episodes, then all of the Gary K episodes and so on. That's really cool. He says, finally, I like the show so much, I decided I would go all the way back to the beginning and start with episode one. (laughs) I also listen to each new episode as it comes out. At this point, I have reached episode 100. Oh, by the way, I happen to know episode 100 is David G uh, because uh, I was looking up something earlier today, but I'm glad you got to that. And he says, and it has been an awesome journey hearing how you developed your format in your style. Yeah, that's right. I've had people comment on this before. When I first started using particular words uh, or phrases or whatever, um, and, and it would just kind of stick. And then there were, there were listeners, for example, there was a guy named Dave, or David, Dave, actually, um, who was a listener back in the beginning. And he wrote in an email and he said something about a super secret Facebook, because I had been saying secret Facebook group. And he put the word super on the front of it. And I said, I kind of like that. Uh, another thing that I have tried many times and I never really stuck was coming up with a, another, and all the listeners are so good. And I've just not mentioned it again because I don't want people to write in and I don't use their ideas. But I was always trying to come up with a uh, something for listener feedback besides saying listener feedback, right? Like sober speak sounds or something like that. I, in fact, I think that was one of the suggestions, but anyway, it's kind of, uh, thank you for, uh, uh, mentioning that he says, um, more than anything else though, sober speak has helped to revitalize my sobriety, my connection with AA and my appreciation for the 12 steps That, Joe, is really, really cool. As a single father of an autistic son and a full-time teacher, I generally make about one meeting a week, but I listen to hours of sober speak in between meetings. Oh, you made my day, my friend. With that in mind, I wanted to write you as I as I have been meaning to do, do so for a while now, and thank you for your service and your dedication. It feels kind of odd to be talking with you after having listened to you through so many episodes. In any case, I appreciate your taking the time to read my message. Oh man, my honor. God bless you and all your guests who join to share their stories. You definitely have been a blessing to my recovery. Well, Joe, you've been a blessing to my recovery as well. God bless you, my friend. Thank you so much for writing that. Um, God bless you, your son, your family, and uh, uh, continued success in your teaching career as well. Benita writes in and she says, Hi, John. Thank you for accepting me into the Facebook group. Well, the the pleasure and honor is all mine, Benita. It really is. My SD is 1031-2000. Oh, I'm assuming that's sobriety date, not South Dakota. My SD, my sobriety date is 10-31-2014, and I found the group by accident. Hey, it's a God coincidence there. When I was looking online for shares about living in 10, 11, and 12 on a daily basis, I live on the Gulf, Gulf Coast in Venice, Florida. It's kind of tough because what I would say except uh, almost anyone I hear in the rooms is that honestly shares from the heart and that alcohol owned me, them is telling my story. I don't think I ever really had fun with it. I drank to find oblivion. I just didn't feel anything. God gave me a chance and I walked out thinking AA was a religious cult thanks to an overzealous sponsor who used the program to preach her religion. 
what did I know? It took me another 15 years dry drunk to get back in. And that was because God sent me an Ebby, talking about like an Ebby Thatcher, who brought me back despite my resistance. I have been blessed with an incredible gift. And this time I'm not letting go. I will share it, give it away to keep it, but not give it up for anything in big capital letters. So having to get so having to get to my morning meeting, my morning meeting, I got to end this, but I hope to spend uh, more time on the Sober Speak website. Thank you and God bless. Uh, and Benita, thank you so much, Benita. I think those are little hearts and flowers and stuff like that on the emojis. Thank you so much. And I hope that meeting morning, excuse me, morning meeting <laughs> went well for you. Okay, everybody, that is uh, Uno Mas episode of uh, Sober Speak in the Can. Keep coming back. It works if you work it. May God bless you and keep you until then. I take this one semana at a time, and I hope to be back next semana. Enjoy your week. Love you guys. Bye.